So I've got, asked these guys to help me with, with my stuff here. Just, you know, Jose said everybody should serve, so I just thought I'd give everybody an opportunity to do that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Oh, look at you, man. You're the man. Oh, I see that table right there, Nathaniel. Grab that table and put that table next to that table. Put that table there. Thank you, guys. You're awesome. You know, the hard part of that whole thing was actually trusting them holding my shofar. That was the scary thing. This is a finely crafted, expensive musical instrument. Though with me blowing on it, you would never know it was finely crafted or a musical instrument. <laughs> but wish me luck, because in a few moments you're going to hear the sound of the shofar, and you're going to know why. We've been working our way through the prophets, and uh, this morning we're hitting Joel. And without any introduction other than letting you know, he preached around the time of Jeremiah the prophet, right before the destruction of Judah. All right? He was talking about the destruction to come. Here's how the book starts. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Petuel. Tell it to your children. And let your children tell it to their children. And their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. What you're looking at here is a locust swarm. Now, we don't see locusts like this in the United States of America. When we hear about a plague of locusts, I don't know what you think of. This is a plague of locusts. Now, you're not hearing the noise because I didn't want the audio on for this when the locust lands on the window and the kids go, ah, ah, they're coming to get us, they're coming to get us. Obviously, they're not from around there. Towards the end of the video clip, the dad is saying, I've been filming this for 45 minutes. And it's looked like that the whole time. Just millions and millions and millions of locusts. Can you imagine what happens when they descend on your farm? Let me read this to you again. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. There's nothing left, is the point. Your country, Judah, is going to be so devastated. It's like a swarm of locusts coming in. Nothing will be left. It's like a swarm of locusts. God isn't telling them real locusts are coming. This is a metaphor. How do I know that? A few verses later, listen to what it says. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving the branches white. This is going to be utter devastation for your country. When this army comes in, just imagine it being a swarm of locusts. There will be nothing left. Total and complete ruination. Now, there's an expression in the Bible for when God judges a nation very harshly. The day of the Lord. Joel 1.15, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. How would, in our culture, if a prophet was talking to us, how would he communicate to us utter devastation? I don't think he'd say like a swarm of locusts because we wouldn't get it might get something like, like that earthquake in Haiti. 
for the entire United States. We, we would get that. Or like that tsunami that hit Indonesia, the entire United States. Those are the words I think that we would understand. For them, they just needed to hear about the locusts. So chapter one, Judah will be ruined by an advancing army, and it's called the Day of the Lord. But in chapter two, that concept of Day of the Lord is broadened. You know, I, I've told you this in the past. Sometimes a prophet will prophesy about something, but then it has a bigger and better fulfillment down the road. Or sometimes he'll talk about two times, here now and then there later. Joel does the same thing. How many of you have ever heard that expression, the Day of the Lord, before? Let me see your hands. Okay, almost all of you. Now, how many of you knew or thought it referred to the future? Let me see your hands. Yeah? How many of you knew it referred back to 2,025, 2,700 years ago? Let me see your hands. Fewer, fewer, fewer hands. It's kind of what I expected. It, it's used that way, but by the time you go home this morning, I think you'll fully understand it. It had short-range and long-range prophetic significance. It referred to the judgment they were going to face under the Babylonians and the judgment the world's going to face in the future. Let me read to you some parallel passages from Joel chapter 2, then I'll jump forward to Matthew. Before them, this is the advancing army, before them the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. Now, is that literal, or is that figurative? Is this like, this is going to be such a terrible horror army that it's going to be like the entire cosmos are, are rocked in your world. You know, kind of, it's giving you the concept of everything falling apart even though it's not really. Or is it literal? When the Babylonians marched in, did the sun go dark? Did the stars shake? Did the earth shake? No, I don't think it did. I think this is just your whole world's going to fall apart. It's going to look like utter devastation. I think it's a metaphor. Before them, the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It's dreadful. Who can endure it? It's coming. That's what he's telling them. He's trying to just give them the worst-case scenario he can so they'll have a clue of what to anticipate if they do not change their ways and change them now. As bad as you can think it's going to be, it's going to be worse. That's why I think this language is used. But Jesus used very similar language about the coming day of the Lord. So Joel's day of the Lord, which is already passed, the Babylonians, Jesus used the same type of language about the coming day of the Lord, which hasn't happened yet. Let me read to you. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars from the sky will fall, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Is this metaphor? Or is this literal? Well, I think with Joel, it was metaphor. I think with Jesus, it's literal. Why do I think that? Well, because we also have the book of Revelation. And it talks about this in great detail. Universal, worldwide, and cosmic plagues that are going to afflict the planet. The end of time, the end of days, everything's going to rock and shake and fall apart. It's going to be part of God's judgment on the earth. So I think Joel 
gave an introduction to how bad it could be. But Jesus is saying, this is the full picture. He's warning us. Now, Joel gave warning for only a few years. Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. What I'm trying to say is, if it was that bad for them and they only needed a few years from Joel, imagine how bad it's going to be for this world if Jesus has been giving us 2,000 years to get our act together. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That's not the only trumpet call. We're going to be talking about trumpets in a minute. So Joel says, God's coming to judge. He's going to bring this advancing army. They're going to leave nothing left. It's going to be as horrible as you can imagine. Then Jesus said, God's going to judge this earth. There's going to be this advancing army. It's going to be as horrible as you can imagine. Is that it? No. What do the prophets do? They point out the sin. They point out the judgment, and they offer hope. Let's look at Joel's hope, then we'll look at the hope from Jesus. So Joel says it's going to be as bad as it can be. But even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord. Rend your heart. What's that mean? Well, rend means tear. Tear your heart, not your garments. What does that mean? In those days... If you are really upset, grieving, mournful, upset, as hurt as you could be, you tore your garments. You just rip your clothes, pull your hair out. That's how they behaved in those days. So if you wanted to show people you were upset, you would tear your clothes. Well, that meant you could fake it, too. You could just pretend you're all upset and tear your clothes. It's hypocrisy. I don't care about your clothes, God's saying. I want you to tear your heart. Are you really upset? Is it a fake? Do you really see what you've done? Are you really repentant? I don't care about your clothes. Show me your heart. That's what he's saying when he says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. God doesn't want to send the invading Babylonians. Give him any excuse not to. Please. That's what's going on here. Now remember, God has already deferred judgment over 700 years. But now God is saying, we're getting to the very end, people. I'm out of patience. It's not done any good me waiting. You're just getting worse and worse. But please, return to the Lord. He's abounding in love. He relents from sending calamity. He does not want to do this. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. So Joel is saying, even up to the very last minute, God is reaching out. The prophets are reaching out saying, repent. It's not too late for you. Come to God. Now, we jump forward to the future day of the Lord. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Even in the future, that's going to culminate in Armageddon and the whole world being cataclysmically toast. God's still sending out prophets. He's sending out messengers. He's sending out angels. Whatever it takes to give people every last chance 
to come back to him. So, to wrap up this whole day of the Lord thing, the day of the Lord is an expression of God's pending, of God's coming judgment. Joel prophesies about two of them. The one in his days, and the one in his way distant future, which is still our future, when God rains his judgment on the earth, which ends with Armageddon. But you notice a few places I read about trumpets, trumpets, trumpets. Trumpets were significant. Now you know about the tearing of the clothes. What did trumpets do in those days? First, let me let you hear one of the typical shofar. Shofar, not chauffeur. I always get the words confused. I just, you know, I guess a shofar drives your car. It's what happens when you go grow up Jewish. You get confused. sound, wouldn't you say? So imagine you're just out hoeing your garden and you hear that in the distance. See, they didn't have this sound in those days. Boop! Or that emergency broadcast signal sound. Oh man, does that get your attention? That is a horrible sound. That is the emergency broadcasting system of their day. You wanted to get everybody's attention, somebody got up on a roof, a designated person, somebody that government appointed, it was their job. They got up on the roof and they blew the shofar. And in a big city, no doubt, somebody on another heard the shofar and they blew the shofar. And then they blew the shofar. And everybody had designated rally points. When you hear the shofar, go to the town center. Something's going on. It might not be good news. Usually, it wasn't but the shofar could be used for various things. Joel 2.1, listen. Blow the trumpet, trumpet shofar, shofar trumpet. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the earth tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. The blowing of the shofar. Blow the shofar. Let everybody know it's time. You hear that sound, there's a good chance your knees start knocking together. Especially because you know you've heard the Babylonians are advancing towards Judah. You know they're coming. It's just a matter of town, time. And everywhere they've gone, every nation has been destroyed. Everyone, even the ones more powerful than you, and they're coming. So you're hoeing in your garden. You heard about this six months ago. And now you hear the shofar. Oh, no. You know, our emergency broadcast system, I'm glad we have it. And I'm not saying I could do better with it but I don't think our government is utilizing it properly. Because I have watched TV and listened to the radio so many times, this is a test, this is only a test. Had this been an actual emergency, you would have been notified. Where did... Now that I hear that sound, I just want to change the channel. Because first of all, it's annoying. Who wants to sit there and listen to that? For like half a minute or however, it like hurts your ears. And then for them to tell you, psych. So now I just want to turn the channel. Well, Michaela and I were driving back from uh, Texas, you know, a few weeks back, and um, we saw this huge storm out in the distance. And we're listening to the radio, and I hear that sound. And I think she was going to turn the channel. I said, no, no, wait, let's listen. This might actually be something. And sure enough, we didn't hear, this is a test we heard. The National Weather Service has 
declared or whatever word they use, a major thunderstorm in the vicinity, winds in excess of 70 miles an hour, those outside should seek shelter immediately. Lightning is hail the size of, oh, what do we do? We're out in the middle of nowhere. Seek shelter immediately. You know, I'm in my car. There's no shelter. Now you're thinking, oh, you're fine in the car. Yeah, you'd think so. But see, I knew I was going to Texas, and I decided to get on the computer ahead of time and research, research tornadoes. Now, what do I do if I'm in Texas and there's a tornado and I'm on the freeway? I want to know what to do, because I'm afraid of tornadoes. Now, how many of you, uh, you might not want to use the word afraid, but you have disrespect for spiders. Let me see your hands. Okay, tornadoes are my spiders. And they're a lot bigger. See, I don't like spiders, but... I can take care of them. Spiders are not a problem, you know. I can deal with spiders. How do you deal with the tornado? See, I don't fear things you can deal with. I remember having a talk with my mom, and uh, we were talking about horror movies. And she said, yeah, they don't bother me that much, demons, ghosts. I don't believe in them. But the real scary ones are the crazy psycho criminals who break into your house at night. That scares me. Uh, now, okay, I understand that. She's, okay, I can deal with spiders, but how do you deal with a tornado? You can't. They are a wild, powerful monster storm that you can't do anything with. So I thought, okay, I'm going to find out what, what, what do these people, professionals, say deal with a tornado if we're driving through Texas. Now remember, I'm driving through Texas and Here's what they said about a tornado. They said, oh yeah, if you're driving, don't try to outrun it because you can't. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. It's not worth the risk. Get out of your car and lie flat on the ground. Okay, Steve Shermet brain. I got a storm coming at me so powerful that it can take a piece of straw and drive it through a tree. And you want me to get out of my steel encased car and go lie on the ground? Yes, because it's safer out there. So I read a little further. Why is it safer out there? Well, because the tornado can pick up your car and deposit it in the Gulf of Mexico. So it's not a safe thing to be in. And I'm thinking, well, if it can do that with my 2,000-pound car, What's it going to do with me laying on the ground? So I read a little further. And they said, no, 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 no. See, it doesn't suck things up like you think. It blows them. See, the wind gets under the car. And that's why it picks it up. Oh, I see. So I get out of my car. I lay flat. The 200-mile-an-hour wind can't get up under me. But it can blow over my 2,000-pound car on top of me. So... I appreciated all the professional opinion as to what to do when you're by a tornado, but again, the Steve Schermitt mind said just pray and die. That's what you do when there's a tornado. So I'm driving back from Texas and I hear, and it ain't no test. And I'm driving and I'm in the middle of nowhere. The nearest house it, the, the nearest street to the nearest house is probably 20 miles off the freeway. You know what I'm saying? Seek shelter. <laughs> yeah, you're, that's a good one. 
it is kind of off in that distance, and we're kind of heading this way. So if it's coming this way, we're in trouble. But if it's going that way, we'll make it. But what choice do I have? I'm just going to keep driving and see what happens. Just a little story to help you understand the power of the emergency broadcasting system. When you hear it, you know something's going to happen, and it ain't good news, and it gets you kind of going a little nervous. I've got to find my non-spider page here. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. So the trumpet portends bad news, God's judgment, destruction, devastation, horror, and fright. That one sound. start dropping their laundry and running around and getting all frightened and some people are heading to the government to find out what's going on. That's what that's all about. And yet, the same trumpet was used for other things. Listen, Joel 2.13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. So the blowing of the trumpet also is just to gather people together. And in this case, a sacred assembly. To do church. It's kind of like a bell at school. You know, oh, it's time to get into class. And everybody goes to class. So the shofar gets everybody's attention. When you first hear it, you might get scared. But, you know, if it's a good day, no Babylonians are coming, and it's the first of the month, and you hear it, and you look up, and the guy blowing it doesn't look stressed, and you're like, oh, I guess the, the mayor wants to talk to us. Well, let's go see. Or you hear it, it's Friday night. Oh, it's, the Sabbath is starting. Okay, thanks. Kind of like a carillon or church bells in town. Same idea for that, too. Public address system. Trumpets in the Old Testament... Good news, bad news, basically to get attention. Trumpets in the New Testament, good news, bad news, basically to get attention. Same exact thing. Let me show you judgment trumpets. I'll read you a sample from the book of Revelation. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So just like the trumpets declared destruction and judgment on Judah, in our future, the heavenly trumpets are going to declare destruction and judgment upon our earth. But the very same concept is also used for blessing. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, listen. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So the trumpet is going to be the sound that God uses to bring us all up in the rapture also. I don't know what his trumpet's going to sound like. But I tell you what, when we hear it, we're going. You know, if you, uh, for those of you in Cheyenne and who've got little children, you can do rapture drills with them. Blow the horn and jump, because the time is coming. So in Joel, the first trumpet results in judgment. The second trumpet results in blessing. But if you recall, it all started off with the plague of the locusts. God promised to undo that plague for Israel and Judah. So God says, I'm going to totally destroy you. You have hope to repent, but listen. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. So God tells Israel, I'm going to judge you now, and then I'm going to restore you. And he tells Israel, I'm going to judge you in the future, and I'm going to restore you. Just like it had the trumpet for the old and the short prophecy and the long prophecy, the blessing was for the short term and also for the long term. Here's how we know it was for the long term also. He says, never again will my people be shamed. Now, if he said that to Israel 2,500 years ago, they've been shamed since. So I know this must be referring to the future one after Armageddon, after tribulation. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see vision. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So God gave a warning to Judah. They were going to be devastated and destroyed. But there was hope if they would just turn to the Lord. And even despite the devastation and destruction, he offered them a future. And in the same light, those of us who are tied to the Jewish Messiah, we get the same future hope. Because God says he's going to again pour out devastation. There'll still be hope for repentance. But I read to the end of the book, people aren't going to repent for the most part. So God's going to judge the earth and it's going to be horrible. But then there's going to be a thousand years of bliss on this planet where the wolf lays with the lamb where you can play with a scorpion and it won't sting you, where there'll be no lack of food, where there'll be no war, all will be beautiful. That's coming too. And all of it is signified by this. God, we pray that you would use us as messengers of peace, that as many people as possible would come to know you. Give us boldness to open our mouths. Give us wisdom as to what to say and when to say it. 
through the children's ministries, through reaching out to Tucson, through Restore Tucson, through our daily lives, give us opportunity to be like the people in that video who walk through life blessing people, following Jesus. And may others join in our parade. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.